0: The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. The day after John had baptized Jesus, John saw him coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, for he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend as a dove from heaven, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Andre Bloom was just a boy when his family left Russia during the revolution and settled in Paris. He studied physics, chemistry, and biology before completing his doctoral work in medicine at the University of Paris, and eventually he became a surgeon in the French army during World War II. Bloom was by all accounts brilliant. In addition to essentially being a stateless refugee for his entire life, he also grew up largely away from his family at rough boarding schools. But when he was finally able to be with his family, which he'd been longing for, he said, when I found myself confronted with perfect happiness, a quite unexpected thing happened. I suddenly discovered that if happiness is aimless, it's unbearable. I could not accept aimless happiness because I believed in nothing. Happiness seemed to be stale. So I decided I would give myself a year to see whether life had any meaning. If, in the course of that year, I could not find any meaning, I decided I would not live. I would commit suicide. Bloom died of natural causes just over a decade ago at the age of 89. And he was known throughout Europe as Anthony Bloom, Metropolitan of the Russian Orthodox Church's Diocese in Great Britain. How did Andre? the disillusioned, modern, secular refugee become Anthony, a celibate Orthodox monk, priest, bishop, then archbishop, then metropolitan, writing book after book on prayer. He says that months into his year-long intentional search for meaning, the leader of his youth organization asked him to attend a group meeting where a priest was to give a sermon. Bloom was adamant about not going, but the leader said he just needed warm bodies in the room so as not to offend the priest. So could you just sit there, you don't have to listen at all, just please come. And so he did. And he hated every minute of it. And he rushed home, maybe like some of you in this very moment are hating every minute of this. Who knows? Don't tell me. He rushed home to ask his mother for a Bible so that he could refute all of the nonsense that this priest had blathered on about. And when he got the Bible, he even counted out the chapters of the four Gospels to figure out which one was the shortest, so as to not waste time unnecessarily, he said. So he began reading the Gospel according to Mark, as you know, immediately. And of that moment, he says, Before I reached the third chapter, I became aware that on the other side of my desk, there was a presence. And the certainty was so strong that it was Christ standing there that it has never left me. Our gospel text this evening gets to the nerve center of the human experience. Jesus' very first words as recorded in John's gospel are something to the effect of, what do you want? What are you looking for? What do you seek? And while I would hazard to say that most of us likely have not had moments with such apocalyptic overtones as Father Anthony had, we are all still wrestling out the same questions about meaning. What do you want? What are you looking for? At the risk of projection... The anxiety inducing answer, perhaps for most of us, is we're not quite sure. There's this Edgar Lee Masters poem that ends this way. He says, But life without meaning is the torture of restlessness and vague desire. It is a boat longing for the sea and yet afraid. If that doesn't sum up the experience of Western culture in general right now, restlessness and vague desire. So what's the solution? Should you just make up your own meaning? How will that play out exactly? How are you living out right now an answer to the question, what am I here for? What do I want? I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have a vague desire for happiness, whatever that means. It could be a life of pleasure and ease or a life of surpassed career goals. Maybe having a certain amount ready for retirement in our bank account or having a husband or wife or kids or grandkids. It could be as simple as having a better cup of coffee brewing than your neighbors do. See, not only are we constantly asking the question, what do I want at a subconscious level, but we are being given answers to that question all of the time. What you really want is perfectly shaped eyebrows. What you really want is a house with better feng shui. You really want a car that reflects your success and personality. What you really want is to find yourself out on the open road. What you really want is to be self-made and independent. What you really want is to be part of the in crowd, whoever they are. The noise is incessant and there is this constant pushing and pulling and cramming and crushing happening to you until you just fit into the right mold of desires. Does this sound familiar? You wake up in the morning and you've immediately got a boss who wants something from you, or a friend who demands you be a certain way, or a spouse who needs this or that, or a kid who needs everything immediately, and you've got to catch up on the the latest 100 tweets from Donald Trump, and you've got to make sure that the mortgage gets paid, and you've got to check Facebook for a minute, and there are emails to respond to, and the oil needs to be changed in your car, and Amazon Prime is going to sell you another 30 things that you really need, and you might even get to church, and you got to make sure that everyone sees you smiling at your kids so they don't get the wrong idea, but you left wet laundry in the wash, and you need eggs for tomorrow. Is that how we want to spend every moment? having become so consumed with surface-level survival that we're just filled with restlessness and vague desire. And what we need more than anything else is to hear the voice of John the Baptist, hoarse and gruff and screaming in the wilderness, Look! Behold! The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If you caught this in our gospel text, there's there's one thing to notice right away. John keeps putting himself in the place where he knows Jesus tends to go. He keeps running across him so that he can make this declaration. And notice also that Jesus always comes to his people. John plants himself by the way, and Jesus comes. John, in two sentences, sums up Christianity for us. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the sacrificial atonement. He is fully human. He is more than just human. He precedes John, even though he comes after him, and he is the Messiah, the one anointed with God's Spirit. Not just anointed, but the one upon whom and in whom the Spirit abides, the text says. This is the one in whom the Spirit abides. And two of John's disciples are there, and they've heard him call out now for the second time Look, the Lamb of God. This, by the way, is really the goal of all Christian people. It's er, Christian preaching. It is to get people to look at Christ and Him crucified. Because I truly believe that when we see Him, When we see the lamb, we will be like these two disciples. We will go after him. And that's where he asks us the same question that's buried in this text, the very first words out of his mouth. What do you want? What are you seeking? These two disciples... Respond and their response is instructive for us because they ask in return, where are you, and then it's that same word, abiding? Where are you abiding? And Jesus responds with an invitation that will alter their lives forever. Their question to him is not just about housing. It's a much deeper question than that. Whether they recognize it or not, and the answer is, The thing that if they come with him, they will eventually see is that Jesus abides in the love of his Father, in the abiding of the Holy Spirit. That's where Jesus abides. And what they want, what we all want, is to abide there too. That's what we're after. In ancient Israel, even before they had entered the promised land, when they were sojourning, before they had a temple, they had the tabernacle, the place of God's dwelling, his abiding presence. And the tabernacle was designed to be a microcosm of the universe. It was to tell the priests who worked there and the people who gathered around that what happened there was to ripple out into the world. And what happened there every day? Every day, in the heat of summer or the cold of winter, in peace or war, in times of harvest or famine, what happened there every single day? We're told in the Torah of Moses, God speaks to Moses and he says, this is what you are to offer on the altar regularly each day, two lambs a year old. Offer one in the morning and the other at twilight with the first lamb, offer a tenth of an ephah of the finest flour mixed with a quarter of a hin of oil from pressed olives and a quarter of a hin of wine as a drink offering. Sacrifice the other lamb at twilight with the same grain offering and its drink offering as in the morning, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. For the generations to come, this burnt offering is to be made regularly at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord. There... I will meet with you and speak to you. There also I will meet with the Israelites and the place will be consecrated by my glory. So I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar and will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Before the blood of the morning lamb was dried, the blood of the evening lamb was spilt. Every single day, twice a day, the priests would lay hands on a lamb, say their prayers, take a knife to its throat, and watch the life drain out of it. Every day, They were reminded of the cost of their sin and what was required in order that a holy God might dwell among his people. Do you see now what John is saying to us? Look! The Lamb of God, the Lamb of the God who takes away the sin of the world This is what the world wants, whether we realize it or not. We want to abide with God. We want the peace that can only come through the sacrifice of the Lamb. That is what is deep down within us. This is what it means to be a human being, to be made in the image of God. It is to desire communion with Him. And John saw clearer than anyone else on earth that it would require the death not just of his cousin in the flesh but of God's own lamb. The call, of course, is not just to look. It's to follow that lamb and to abide in him as John records for us later in his gospel as a branch abides in a vine. If you can figure out where a vine ends and a branch begins, let me know. That's the point. Totally intertwined, totally enmeshed. The call is for us to set out on Christ our ocean and no longer be a boat longing for the sea and yet afraid. And if you'll permit me a coda, I'll say that if you imbibe mostly the culture in which we swim, one that is built on fear and a scarcity mentality where all claims to truth are claims to power, then you will either feel like crushing people with Christianity or you will feel like having your skin ripped off rather than tell your friends and neighbors in a meaningful way about Jesus. But if you've answered his call to come and see where he abides, to come and dwell with him in his Father's love, then you too can be like Andrew in our lesson this evening. You will go first thing and tell someone you love that you've found him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.